Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott and I'm your host. I'm a transformational leader and an instigator of joy. I use human design, coaching, intuition, and mindfulness to help light leaders remember who they are and why they're here so they can amplify their impact and send ripples of light across the planet. And I am so excited that you're here. I'm excited to share this episode with you today. You'll notice perhaps perhaps you will notice, perhaps you will not, that my voice is a little funky right now. And you'll hear that it's funky in this episode. I thought I had COVID and it turns out I may have just had, I may still have extreme allergies right now. So anyway, please excuse the voice. You'll get used to it. (laughs) I got used to it. Okay. So this week, Audrey Holst. Audrey and I went to coaching school way back forever ago, and she's been on the podcast once before. Today, she's here talking about all things perfectionism. Now, in this conversation, you'll hear me share a theory that perhaps people with open ego centers are more prone to perfectionism. I've been thinking about that more lately. And the fact is, first of all, any open center we have, we are more prone to conditioning in that center. And actually this gets into the nitty gritty of our split, whether we're single definition, split definition, triple split, or quad split that actually influences whether we are more prone to conditioning in our open centers or in the gates that we don't have. I'm not going to get into that right now. So anyway, we're prone to conditioning in our charts, anywhere we, where we don't have our own definition. And the truth is when it comes to perfectionism, first of all, Audrey is the expert, not me. And second of all, just what I want to, what I want to get into here is here's the conditioning we're talking about. Maybe when you're a little kid, you get praised for do when you do something quote unquote, perfectly. When you, when you achieve, when you get gold stars on your homework, you, that's when you feel like you are getting the most love. So of course you're going to strive to do that every day. That's one form of conditioning. Perhaps if you are never praised for anything, you're not going to develop perfectionist tendencies because what's the point? Perhaps if you're praised for everything you do or praised for doing things in your own unique way, perhaps you won't develop perfectionist tendencies. I don't know. And I do want to say something to all the parents out there. If you're listening to this podcast, you are amazing. You love your kiddos so much. You are trying your best. You are giving everything you can. And the truth is every single being on this planet, we come into this world. We choose our parents. We choose what we're going to work on in this life. We choose our gifts. We choose how we're going to change the world. And all of us will have things that we need to work on. That's part of being human. So If you are a parent and you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, my kid is a perfectionist. What did I do wrong? Please give yourself a hug and so much love and, and forgiveness and grace and just love, just love. 
love yourself, love your children, love your parents, love every teacher you've ever had. It's all happening for you and it is all love. So who is Audrey? Audrey Holst guides ambitious high performers and high achievers who are ready to stop micromanaging their lives with perfectionism so they can actually start living. She's the founder of the fortitude and flow process, which fuses mindful and embodied practices to create sustainable transformation. Her work goes beyond mindset and addresses perfectionism's impossible standards at their root cause. She, in this episode, she takes us through the five archetypes of perfectionism. This is for you if you identify as a perfectionist or if you don't, and perhaps you will come away from this conversation identifying as one of these archetypes and perhaps you won't, but perhaps it'll give you more insight into the humans around you. We are all figuring this out as we go along. We are all stumbling, fumbling, tripping over our big, beautiful poppy paws as we go through this life thing. The, the big picture intention of this episode is just to help you love yourself and love others more. I love you. You are amazing. You are a miracle. Go forth and be awesome. Okay. So I wanted you to come back because one, because I love you. And two, because you are digging deep into this perfectionism thing lately. Mm -hmm. And I find it fascinating and fascinating from like a couple perspectives. One, I think it's really interesting and it's really fun to see you get so lit up about something and just like go all the way in. And two, it's something that I can't really relate to. It's something that I haven't experienced in my life. So it's like you are diving deep into this language that I don't understand. So I want you to teach me. Yeah, I love this because it's one of the things when I did my series of interviews, the perfectionism interviews, there were a lot of people who wanted to know how the other side lives. <laughs> you know, they wanted to know what, what is it like to not be a perfectionist? What does that look like? How does that show up as? So I think this will be a really interesting episode for people who both can relate to perfectionism and then don't relate to perfectionism. And maybe it'll give some, some language and understanding for, for people to know the people in their lives or know themselves that are, are different and have a different experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I have a theory. It is just a theory based on human design and perfectionism. I think that people with open ego centers, the ego center is also known as the heart center and the will center. I think that people with open ego centers are more likely to experience perfectionism than people with defined ego centers Mm. and with an open ego, which FYI, 70% of the population has an open ego. Only 30% has a defined ego. I am in that 30%. And when we have a defined ego, we have strong, consistent motivation. And when you have an open ego, you can feel like you need to prove yourself to yourself and to others. There's also a piece in there, <clears throat> excuse me, where I've heard people say you struggle with self-worth 
which I find an interesting nuance. I feel like all humans encounter feelings of like lack of worthiness. And for me, when we were in coaching school together, eons ago, that was centuries ago. (laughs) That was my gremlin that I transformed. My gremlin said, I'm not worthy. Mm. And I have an open ego. So I personally like say that that doesn't quite line up. Yeah. So wait, so you have a defined ego? Is that Mm -hmm. right? And I I believe that we discovered yesterday that I have an open ego, right? Did we have a discussion? You have an open ego and you may even have a wide open ego, like no (laughs) no gates in there at all. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I think you're right. I think it's this, this worthiness thing is, is a human, a human condition thing. And, and I, I don't, it's not language that people naturally use to describe their experience with perfectionism. I think that people who have, to be honest, I think it's people who have done a bunch of therapy and have dug into things and have certain languaging around it. will say, we'll talk about worthiness, but it's not a natural uh, conversation that happens around perfectionism, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It does. So what is perfectionism? So perfectionism in the way that I see it, I describe it and I work with it is essentially, I, I call it a survival mechanism, right? Every single person that I've ever talked to that, that, uh, resonates with perfectionism. It's not like they turned 30 and then we're like, you know what, you know what I'm really going to try on perfectionism. That seems like a really good idea. Not a single person did that, right? Every single person that I've ever talked to that resonates with perfectionism has struggled, struggled with perfectionism, has ever called themselves a perfectionist. And we, and it's not a villainous thing or like a diagnosis or anything. We can talk all about that. Um, but anybody who's, who's related to it, it, they can reflect back to their earliest years and find ways that it was serving them in some way, shape or form. Um, a lot of it has to do with functioning within your family of origin or with your caretakers when you're younger. It is really um, solidified and uh, helped along by the culture that a lot of us experience in school, right? It's very achievement oriented. It's very achievement focused. If you are somebody who does well in school, there becomes this expectation that like, that's a permanent state of yours and that you're always looking for more and more and more. It's like, why the people who will get like a 90% on a test, they're, they're like disappointed because it should have been a hundred, right? There's this kind of ongoing thing. And one of the other, uh, markers that I found that a lot of perfectionists tend to, uh, struggle with is this concept of you get one chance. You only get one shot. There's no iteration. It's, it's, you just get it right on the first time, or you've totally messed it up, which when you look at the schooling system makes complete sense because you get to take a test once you get graded on it. And then off you go. There's no like, Oh, okay, well, let's see what can be approved upon next time. And then we'll take the test again. No, it's like you study for a very specific thing. You get graded once and then we move you right along to the next thing. Um, so it's a, it's really, really ripe for perfectionism to take hold in a more uh, solid way than perhaps in some other environments it wouldn't because it, it is a very environmental thing. Um, that's something that I found with perfectionism too, depending on your environment, the people you're surrounded with a lot of the time, um, the way that they respond to things, what their expectations are, all of that sort of stuff will either 
uh, exacerbate it or, or help uh, chill it out depending on the situation. So a lot of what you were just describing sounds like a fixed mindset to me, like fixed versus growth mindset. Are you familiar with that Carol Dweck's work around Yes. What's the difference or is it the same? Yeah, I would say that there's definitely that element of it that, um, you know, there is a, there's a lot of inflexibility. Um, People, people talk about uh, perfectionism as being like, devoid of fun or like the joy sucker, you know, like all of those sort of things. It's a very serious, uh, serious place. You know, a lot of fun things are not happening within the, within the barriers of perfectionism. Everything is very serious. Everything is very, uh, high stakes, high pressure. It feels very, like I said, in that survival sense, it feels very tied to survival. So it's, it's not a very enjoyable thing. Um, and, in that place, there's not a lot of conscious decision-making or conscious thinking going on. A lot of it is reactive. I call it the perfectionist two-step where it's basically like you see it, you fix it, you see it, nail it, you see it and you get it right. And there's not a lot of pausing, considering making decisions and moving forward. Is it something, do people tend to be perfectionists in all aspects of their lives or just certain aspects? Yeah, it, it's true. I, it does show up in a lot of, in most aspects of people's lives. Although I do believe that, that most of them are, and based on these are based on the conversations, most people are hyper aware of it within a, a work situation, right? Because a lot of people are spending a lot of time at work and that's where their the achievement oriented thing comes from. Um, they may be doing it in their personal lives also, but they're not thinking about it the same way, right? There's kind of hitting goals, going after things, um, depending on the type of perfectionist, there's a couple of different archetypes that I talk about. Um, but you know, for optics perfectionists, for instance, right. They're always wanting to, to be perceived a certain way. So that may be showing up more in your personal life with your relationships, which can make things difficult. It's difficult to build really, um, connective and intimate relationships with other people when you're always trying to put up a very specific, facade of who you are in the world. So, um, perfectionism can really affect relationships and it can really affect, uh, it gets people to a certain place in their life. Like what I'll often say is it's gotten you where you are, but it's not going to get you where you want to go because at some point it becomes a barrier because at some point you're going to want to take more risks. You're going to want to, you know, lean into things that are uncomfortable and perfectionism kind of becomes this, this wall that is very difficult to get past. If that's the only way you know how to navigate things. I want to hear all the things. I have so many questions. Um, Okay. But I want to back up to you. Like, is this something that you have personal experience with? Is it something that you notice like really early in your life? Yeah. So this is such an interesting question because, and I think that this is what's fascinating about, about finding language for our experiences. Um, I don't know that I would have called myself a perfectionist it's not a term that I necessarily resonated with, um, until I started really digging into it. So I, a lot of the work that I did in my earlier years coaching was around burnout. That was, I had a lot of focus around burnout because that's the people that were coming to me were burned out. Right. So I was like, okay, burnout, I'm looking at that. That's where my focus is. And I started to realize that burnout was not really it for me, it was, there are so many aspects to it. There are so many organizational aspects to it. That's not my strength. I'm not, I'm not an organizational re 
recreator, like systemic recreator person. That's not how I work. I have a lot of friends that do that work. It's not the work that I do. So I, my background is in mindfulness. My background is in meditation. My background is in movement and yoga and the physical body. And so I was like, well, what is it that I'm really interested and really good at working with people? And uh, my coach, we, we were having this conversation and she just pointed out, basically, it sounds like the people you're working with are perfectionists. And I remember I was on a walk when we were having this conversation. Um, or maybe this is when I was listening to the recording later. I can't remember now, but it was very impactful. <laughs> I, um, I was walking and I, I had this moment of like, it was like, everything was silent. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Like I knew something is, had landed, but I wasn't quite sure. And the more I started to look at my own experience through the lens of perfectionism, I was like, oh, interesting. Okay. Like things felt like they started to come into place more. And I started to relate the work that I was doing alongside like my own experience and what people were saying to me. So really having that lens to look at things really shifted how I was seeing things. And then I started to look back and be like, oh, right. I can look at, um, you know, the way I was in school and how I, you know, how I achieved in school and even my habits of procrastination and what that actually meant when I'm like, oh, it's procrastination. Oh, actually it's this, you have to get it really right. And you have to get it really perfect. And you're going to wait to the last minute because now you're going to blame things on, oh, well, I didn't have enough time or, oh, as, as opposed to like, I was so nervous to do this thing and like, have it not do well, that I'm going to put it off to the last minute and basically cause this issue for myself on a regular basis. So, um, when I reflect on things in more modern times, I can see it, but at the time I couldn't see that. And I think that's really common with a lot of people as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So then where'd you get this idea? How many people did you interview and why, where did this idea come from? So, um, I am, I don't even know how to say it anywhere. I'm in the middle of writing a book. I'm currently writing a book. The book is written, but it's being edited. Like, I don't even know how to say it anymore. It exists in the world. It's a book it's happening. Um, (laughs) It's not done yet is basically what it comes down to. But so I started this book in, the first draft was written really, really quickly in November, 2019. And we, I have to pause you for a second because this book has been in you for a long time. Yes. Yes. Was that is true. Originally about perfectionism. No. So that's, that's kind of been the, the, the journey of this book. So the book has been in me for, I've been thinking about writing a book since I was little. Originally, I thought it would be something like a Nancy Drew mystery novel because that's what I was into. Right. So, but as I got older, I'd say with for the last nine years, there's been some sort of book, uh, that wanted to be written. That was about something related to my journey and the work that I do. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what that looked like. Um, but I really started, I finally got to work with it, got a draft on paper, started working with an editor in November, 2019. I wrote the entire book in three weeks, which is bonkers. And then, um, no, Audrey is a manifesting generator. (laughs) Audrey is a four, six MG, just like me. We just have different (laughs) centers open and defined FYI. Yeah. And, uh, and at that point it was a little bit, there was more focus on burnout. Um, and there was more focus on how that related to the nervous system. And 
then the pandemic hit. And then, so like kind of a lot of things happened at the same time, the pandemic hit my messaging changed. All of this stuff happened about the same time pandemic messaging changed, um, started to really hone in on the perfectionism thing, which then meant that a lot of the lens of how the book was written needed to change also. Um, so that all, that all got shifted around. Um, I can't even remember your original question. I just knew it was about the book at some point. Oh, how'd you end up interviewing all these people? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me back. So I, the book is mostly written and I felt like, you know, it feels like there needs to be some more stories in here, some more language. Um, because when I'm coaching, you know, first of all, when I coach everybody I work with, it's, it's a confidential coaching relationship, right? So I'm not divulging things. And when I coach, I'm in a different mindset than when I'm information gathering for a book, right? I'm listening for different things. I'm tracking different things. My notes are different. All that sort of stuff is different. So even though I had been working with perfectionists for a really long time, I was like, you know, I want to actually specifically sit down with a few people, a few people is my original intent and talk about their experience with perfectionism. And I talked to the first person I talked to actually was my good friend, Janae Roberts, who literally does this for a living. She, she like teaches, she, she like teaches PhD students on how to do this type of research. Right. So she's my first interview, which of course, because that's how, you know, the world works. And she's like, she basically gave me some recommendations on how to ask the questions, what the most helpful things would be to ask and, and that sort of thing. And so I went from there and I just put a general call out to the public. Hey, I'm looking to have to do some interviews who wants to talk to me about their perfectionism. I was thinking like a handful of people, well, like 60 plus people later, um, you know, over, I, you know, over 60 hours of conversation. Um, and this happened within a short period of time. This was probably like a month or two of interviews. Um, I was talking with like three people a day. It was really intensive. And that became the foundation of the, eventually what became perfectionist archetypes and just this general conversation on perfectionism. Like people want to talk about this. People relate to it. People want to talk about it. Um, they want to talk about it with me, but I think it's also a little bit more of a difficult conversation in the general sphere um, where people are nervous about the impact of what it means to be open about perfectionism or talk about perfectionism or that sort of thing. How do people... So I said that I don't identify as a perfectionist. That doesn't mean I'm not one. Like, who knows? Maybe listening to your archetypes, I've already read through them. Maybe there's something in there that like, I'm like, oh my goodness, I am a perfectionist. But how did all these people come to self-identify as perfectionists? Did they have like the like aha moment like you did? Yeah, it's really interesting. So I would say that there were a couple of categories of people that I talked to. There were the people who were sort of perfectionist adjacent or perfectionist curious. And these are people who maybe had been told by other people that they might be perfectionists or had been given that label by somebody else. And they were they're not quite on board with it. You know, like they're like, okay, I hear that. I'm not really sure, but it's not something they embrace as an aspect of who they are or, or even have that sort of straightforward attitude about it. So some people I interviewed were like that. And then other people, I would say the majority of people I talked to identified as some, some version of a recovering perfectionist, right? These are people who 
really recognized it at some point in their life and, and had some sort of a turning point, right? I talk about this sort of like the boat is going in one direction. And at some point you start to slowly turn it in a slightly different direction. Um, so a lot of people, whether they, I think whether they, um, identified with perfectionism as the thing, I think a lot of people came to it after hearing me talk about it. They were like, Oh, the way you talk about this puts it like, it makes me right. I identify with that. I can identify with that. So I can identify with perfectionism. Um, I didn't know it before, right? Like I just didn't even think about it before. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people just start to, they start to see it at some point. And, and I think they start to see it when they see it as a limitation as opposed to a strength. Mm. Oh yeah. Did you have anyone come to you and be like, I am like proudly wearing their, I, I picture them in a cape, um, <laughs> wearing their perfectionist cape and be like, yes, I am a perfectionist and I'm so proud of it. You know, it's interesting. Not, not real. People would not say perfectionist with proudly, but they would say, I thought you were going to tell you know, me they would not wear a cape. Yeah. They, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. Probably not a cape. It's probably, um, you know, like a suit or something. Um, they would probably, they would say things like high standards or there would be a reframe on it. And, and I, and again, I think this is where it's important to just me to clarify my, my stance on perfectionism. I, I don't see it as this villainous, horrible thing. I see that there's a lot of strength to it, right? There are people who have these perfectionist tendencies that are doing amazing work. Right. And it and really, it's like, we want to move people towards that, that, uh, side of, excellence that perfectionism moves us towards, but not the, the, like the negative side effects, struggles, um, you know, mental health issues that can come along with that, with that. So, um, yeah, people would, would reframe the language. So it's more around high standards or it's more around, um, uh, even like taste or values or some version of that is what people would wear with, with, uh, with pride. Mm. I was just thinking, I don't know actually how what you said made me think of this, but I was thinking about, I guess maybe there's always a human design chart in my head. And so I'd say that's pretty accurate. I was just thinking about all the different gifts that could look like perfectionism. And then like, it's kind of like if used in a sideways way, or I was just thinking, so one of your main gifts is spotting and explaining the facts and seeing like all the details and really working towards efficiency. Yes. That's one of your gifts. That's an incredible thing that you can do that I cannot. Right. And I just wonder if that, like if gifts like that, where people like me are dependent on people like you to be like, (laughs) Audrey, again, I don't speak this language. How do I do this? And how do you do it with ease? I'm I just wonder if that like plays into perfectionism. I a hundred percent would agree with that because I think that what happens is the volume gets adjusted on these things. Right. And I think that especially a lot of, right. A lot of people who, um, experienced perfectionism when they were younger, it was, they got praise for these gifts and it became their way to get attention, have connection, right? It was a way to get these needs met. So it was like, well, shoot, if this is where I can get attention, right? And and maybe I'm not getting attention other ways and maybe, 
you know, this is the way that I'm, I'm really working it is that when I achieve, I know that that's, um, feeding something for me Then I'm going to turn the volume up on that. Right. That's the thing that I know to do is to turn the volume up on this gift and to like crank it to its maximum level. And maybe that is, you know, that can be helpful at a certain point, but also if I, my perspective is if anything's out of, I don't even like to say the word balance, but like, if anything is, um, utilized in a way that's no longer like <laughs> serving the organism, right. It's like not serving the collective. It's not serving you as an individual. Then, um, we need to kind of just look at, look at what's going on there, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Can you tell us about the different archetypes, please? <laughs> sure. So, um, before I even go into this, I think it's just important again to say like, this is not a diagnosis. I am not saying that, you know, if you resonate with this, then this is who you are as a human being or anything like that. Um, these are just, I feel like helpful ways to think about the different ways that, that perfectionism can, can show up. Um, so there's five, there's five archetypes that I've I've identified at this point, and that is the break and gas perfectionist. So B-R-A-K-E, break and gas. There is the optics perfectionist. There's the hero. There's the covert, which is very interesting. And there's the rigid perfectionist. And things show up slightly differently uh, for each of these perfectionists, uh, whether it's the way that they, um, I, I look at these, these different versions as the thoughts that they may have, the fears that they may have, the behaviors that they may display, um, even the sort of like somatic experience that they have. Cause even people describe, I'll ask people to describe like their flavor of perfectionism and the way that people physically experience it can also be different, right? Some people are feeling anxious. Some people are feeling dread. Some people are feeling frozen. Some people are feeling right. There's sort of different um, if we're going to talk about like the negative side effects, people have a different negative side effect, emotion, feeling association with their version of perfectionism. Yeah. So what is an, what's the, is there a most common that you found? So there's a lot of, um, I, I feel like the, the hero perfectionist is a pretty big one. Um, I, I, the hero perfectionist and, uh, breaking gas is pretty common in terms of, uh, a lot of the entrepreneurs I've talked to. So hero perfectionist is, if you want to say like that common over-functioner who is like great in a crisis, they're all up in everybody's business. They want to fix it. They know how to fix it. And when they cannot fix it, they cannot deal, right? They are like really, really up in people's business. And hero, the hero perfectionists are interesting because, um, you know, we talk about boundaries. They can actually be boundary pushers, right? They can actually be overstepping people's boundaries on a regular basis. Cause they feel like they, it's like, they need to feel better by fixing somebody else's issue. And they're often all in other people's issues as opposed to their own issues. Um, and, and these are like big hearted people. Right. And that's the thing to understand about perfectionists too. These are not, these are big hearted, caring people who really have big visions and like want to do good work and, and, uh, care about people, right. They wouldn't, a lot of these behaviors wouldn't show up if they didn't. I mean, they care about themselves obviously too, because it's a lot of self-protective, but you know, they have the care about other people. Um, break in gases. Wait, is- wait, hold on. Cause we yeah. need to dig into this one. Cause I find it so interesting. So yeah. a couple gifts 
in human design, one is the ability to thrive in a shitstorm. Mm-hmm. And then there's people who are super sensitive to other people's needs. Mm-hmm. But I'm also thinking about this Brene Brown story. I can't remember the term she used. Like, I want to say an overperformer. That's not the right phrase. But basically, she was talking about this time when her a family member was in the hospital. Yes. And she and her siblings were there. And Brene was like, okay, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and trying to delegate things and was mm-hmm. all up in the like, we're going to do, do, do. And one of the siblings was just like frozen. Yes. Was, what is wrong with you? Yes. And she described these people as like either basically like over again, I'm going to use the word performer and it's not, it's not I think what it's, oh, she might've just, she might've actually used the term over-functioning. Maybe. Yeah. So over-functioning in a crisis or like under-functioning in a crisis. Mm-hmm. And again, that's, that's a bit of a, um, right. A survival mechanism. Like that freeze is like an actual survival response. And, yeah. um, that over-functioning is a bit of a survival response, which again, goes along with how perfectionism often shows up for people. Absolutely. Okay. So interesting. Now you can, t- now, now you may proceed with the break and guess. <laughs> yeah. Break and guess is, uh, is interesting because it feels like for these people, it's like, they've got one foot on the gas pedal and one foot on the brake. Like literally that is the, the feeling. And this is the, um, when it comes to execution and perfectionism and achievement and perfectionism. These are the people who end up procrastinating on stuff. These are the people who end up spending way too much time on tasks that don't need to have a lot of time spent on them. Those are the people who are spending 20 minutes on an email that should only take like, you know, two. Um, There's, these are the people that end up missing out on a lot of uh, opportunities because it's like, well, I don't know. I gotta, I want to do it, but like, I'm not sure if I can do it. Um, You know, and they end up like, the opportunities go flying out the window because they've, they've waited too long or they haven't jumped on it. Um, which, and this is one of the ones that I can relate to. This is one of the, um, uh, perfectionist archetypes that I have a lot of resonance with. And this can be that sort of like dread anxiety feeling, <laughs> feeling that comes along with this version of, of perfectionism. And it's frustrating because it's frustrating for the person on the receiving end, because they're like, I know I care about these things and I'm not behaving as if I do. And it's, it's a frustrating for people on the receiving end because they're like, I know you're brilliant. I know you can do these things. What the hell is going on? Um, so yeah, it's a really interesting. interesting Is there an element of self-sabotage in there? Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't ever use the term self-sabotage because I think that I don't really believe that we're ever trying to sabotage ourselves. Um, self-protection hundred percent, right. It's, it's just a self-protective mechanism. And that's really what it comes down to any of these things is our system feeling like it's found the solution to keeping us safe, right? How, you know, are, am I safe and do I belong? Are those syst- the background questions that are always running in our bodies. And so whatever our body, our system, our nervous system, our sort of unconscious mind can do to make sure we are safe and belonging, that's, what's going to happen. Mm, interesting. So we, I mean, we can feel safe and unsafe spiritually, mm-hmm. emotionally, physically, mentally does mm-hmm. the like flavor of lack of safety feeling, does that influence the archetypes? Um, I think it, I think it basically comes down to like what worked for you early on, mm-hmm. you know, like what was the, what was the, uh, what was the model that seemed to work in your dynamic and your family dynamic or your school dynamic or whatever was happening 
um, that, that kind of locked into your system and said, okay, this is what we're doing. This is, this is what works. This is what, this is like the, you know, the pathways that are, that are most efficient at getting what we need. That's what we're doing. Um, so I definitely think that people's, uh, the way they perceive safety, what is safety to them and what is belonging to them hundred percent makes a difference mm. in the archetype. Yeah. So it's like people find this way of being when they're like five mm-hmm. and they get praised for it. So mm-hmm. that that pathway gets locked in. They just carve that paved road, paved highway in their brain. Mm-hmm. And then they come to you and you teach them about the bumpy construction road that they can take. Yes. That will one make of the th- life better. Yeah. One of the things that I will say often is just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's wrong. And I think that that is one of the, um, one of the tricky, right. This is a tricky thing that we talk about the comfort zone versus the discomfort zone or like out of side of your comfort zone and that sort of thing. And I think it's, we need to dig down a little bit more and clarify a little bit more what we mean by that, because for a lot of people outside of their comfort zone is being satisfied outside of their comfort zone is being able to relax outside of their comfort zone is taking time and pausing, right? These are things that are unusual or uncommon for their lived experience. So when these things start getting introduced, they feel uncomfortable and that can be interpreted as this is wrong. So it's a conversation I have a lot of times with clients where they're like, I'm so uncomfortable. And I'm like, I love that. Keep it up because this is the process of these really super effective highways, right? These, like you said, those paths that are really, really, they've been running and running and running and running. And we're like, Hey, listen, we're building a new pathway this way. And now we're going to go over this and yeah, there's a construction zone and and it's all torn up. And, but here's the deal. It's not always going to be a construction zone over time. You run that a a bunch of times. Now this becomes a new paved highway and it's, you just have to be with that discomfort and know that that is a positive sign and not necessarily a negative sign. And I will say there is ways to tell the difference and people do tell the difference between what's discomfort and uncomfortable learning versus, Oh, that is not right. Right. There's something off here. Mm. I don't know. I feel like this might be for someone who's listening that when I started the podcast, I, one of the things I was super curious about was talking to professional athletes and like Mm. triathletes in particular, because I'm a triathlete and being like, what makes them so fast? And what I learned actually, I think before I interviewed the first professional (laughs) triathlete was just being super comfortable, being uncomfortable. It's not like they're going faster than us and it feels easy. It's they're just like, I am uncomfortable and that's what I do. And it also makes me think Georgia O'Keefe has this quote that I'm sure I'm butchering it. And basically the, the gist was, she was like, I'm scared every single day of my life and not in a like living in fear, but like I put myself out there in a way that scares me every day. Yes. And that is the, that is the right leaning towards excellence, leaning towards the positive, um, like the positive aspects of perfectionism, right. Where you are risking and you're leaning into that and you're like, this is freaking scary. And, and it's in service to the things that I actually believe are important, right? These are my values. This is what I say I really want to do. And I'm going to lean into that um, and be uncomfortable at the same time and be on board with that. Mm. Yeah. You got to risk it for the biscuit. (laughs) 
I don't know how I've never heard that before. That's amazing. I only heard it for the first time on an interview on the Finding Mastery podcast like five years ago. And I loved it so much that it's it's a regular thing for me. I like it. I like it a lot. Okay. Um, the, tell us more, please. Well, I before I even tell you more, I'm curious, like, as I'm talking about perfectionism, I'm very curious, like, what your perspective is as somebody who does not resonate with this. Like, how... I'm like curious about how that impacts you or the way that your brain sort of thinks about these, these conundrum, I guess a conundrum, I guess I would call it. I, I know a friend of mine was like, listen, I don't want to read a book about perfectionism written by somebody who's not a perfectionist. Like I want to know, you know, I want to know who people have gone through it. So like, um, yeah, I guess it's, I'm like trying to put myself in your shoes and like understand where you're sitting as somebody who has a very different experience. So we're talking about the breaking gas. I can, I use the word self-sabotage because I, I don't think it has any, um, like emotional power yeah. for me. Is, yeah. So that I resonate with, I have, and this uh, may only be in triathlon, but, or that's where I just, I, I, I learn a lot of things through triathlon and then, you know, it, it applies to everything, but yeah. I, I notice it all like have a, a series of great workouts. Like I'll have like incredible workouts for six weeks and I'll be like, huh, you know, what's going on here. And it's like, I describe it as I see this self-sabotage van circling me and the mm. self-sabotage van is this white windowless van that like so opens creepy. the slider and is so like, creepy. come on, little girl, you want some candy? <laughs> oh and gosh. I'm like, I see you. No. And it's a conscious decision. Like, no, because I'll, I'll even sometimes hear the thought in my head, you could just go easy today. I mean, you've had a lot of amazing workouts and I'm like, what? No, I can also choose to be amazing. So I think, I mean, I think all of us are, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm an over-functioner. That's that's the term I think an overfunctioner yeah. in, um, crises. Yeah. I do not have that gift. Yeah. I'm more built for get knocked down and get back up again, <laughs> uh, and be useless in a crisis. <laughs> but yeah, I can resonate with it with the breaking gas. I don't think like, I don't really see it as a theme throughout my life, but I'm like, Oh, I've touched that. Right. Yeah. I get that. Right. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's what it comes down to, right? Is I think that I, I think really like no matter what, no matter what we talk about, I, I think honestly, everybody has touched it at some version of, of something other people have touched, even if it's like for a teeny tiny moment. And I think what it comes, what makes the difference is, is it thematic, right? I think like you use that, is it a theme, right? If it's a theme and it runs and it runs and it runs and you can follow that thread throughout your life and you can see sort of the consistent impact that thread makes. Okay. Well, maybe that is, maybe that framework is helpful for you. Right. And again, I'm like, if do I work with people who don't really consider themselves perfectionists? Yes. But they like the way that I do things. They like the way I talk about things and we work together, you know, like that's, that's cool too. I'm not saying that you have to be one way or another, or that like the way I talk about this is, is the way things are. Um, but it's the way I see the world. It's the way that people I work with see the world and having that resonance makes creating change a way easier process. Mm. 
The other thing I just thought of too, is I, um, I had this practice a few years, like 10 years ago of committing to doing at least one scary thing a day. Mm -hmm. And Pete and I would actually write down every Sunday, we'd write down all the scary things we'd done that week. In the first week, there were like seven, like we had done one a day by a couple months in, we were writing super, super tiny because it was like 50 things each week. (laughs) And then we stopped writing them down and it's just become the way we move through the world. Mm. But it's interesting to me. I'm like, oh, so was there some of that breaking gas in me earlier that I just like paved, paved a different road to do, to just be scared all the time. Sure. Yeah. Maybe, you know, like that's the whole thing. I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make a call on anything. I think that, I think that, uh, what's interesting too, about the archetypes is people will have one that they, that they resonate with, but then they have like, oh yeah. And I've got like a little bit of this over here and a little bit of this over here. And again, it's, it's just helpful to have references, right. To have sort of uh, a map on your journey to be like, oh, this is where I can, this is where I'm sort of resonating with things. And then you go on a couple more years and you're like, oh shoot. Yeah. I remember when this was like really strong for me, but things have changed, right. I've done different things. I've tried different things. I've, you know, worked with so whatever things start to shift and, and change and, and some things stay the same, right. Like I was looking through, you know, my kindergarten report card. And I feel like there are some things that I still resonate with then. I mean, I'm the same person just in a different journey. And I, I think it is like that volume gets turned up and down at different points in my life around stuff. So it's like, we all have our own individual perfectionist salad and you can be like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, I, I really love this aspect of myself. I love the carrot aspect of myself, but those red onions have got to go. Yeah. The red onions have got to go. They leave a terrible taste in the mouth they really like, do. all day long. And I'm, like, glad, week long. I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Oh yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard something today that said you get more health benefits from eating onions raw, but no, no. Great. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'll get on a different health train. That's not the exactly. one that I'm getting on. Exactly. <laughs> Okay. So what, tell us about some other archetypes, please. Um, let's see. So I think, um, covert is an interesting one because covert is a very non-traditional, I'll put that like in quotes, like non-classic perfectionist model. And these are the people who often from an outsider's perspective may never consider a perfectionist, but from their internal experience, um, it's something that's like very strong for them. Um, covert perfectionists very often are neurodivergent. That's just seems to be a, a common theme. It's something that often people will go in sort of waves of like high achievement and then like crashing and just not, um, they will not do the thing at all because they make the automatic assumption that somebody else can do it better somebody else is going to, you know, might as well give it to somebody else. I'm not even going to try. Right. It's like their perfectionism is in a way that like, if I can't get it perfect, which I am making the assumption that I can't, that I'm literally not even going to touch it. Right. So these people show up to the outside world completely differently. So people are looking at these, at these individuals saying, Oh, they're, they're not a perfectionist. Maybe they're actually a little bit messy. Like maybe it's kind of like the opposite. They're looking at this person as, as totally chill, or maybe like a little bit of a slob on the inside. This person has a very different experience, um, as to how they perceive themselves. And I've actually talked with a couple of, uh, couples, one who, um, 
you know, where, where one person resonates with covert perfectionism and their partner's like, I had no idea, like I had no idea that that's actually what your experience was. Um, so I think that one's a really interesting, um, uh, interesting archetype for people to experience and a tough one too, because it's, it's one thing when people are looking at you from the outside and making a right. I, I think that's true of all the archetypes, I guess. People from the outside make assumptions about you based on what they observe from the outside, but your internal experience is very different. Mm. That one, I don't have a clear picture of it. Can you give us a very anonymous picture of like maybe a couple, for instance? Yeah. So um, a covert perfectionist is somebody who, um, these are people who tend to um, be on the outside of tradition. So it may be people who have non-traditional jobs or, um, you know, non-traditional lifestyles, whatever that means, right? That's kind of a silly thing to say, but that's just, um, you know, kind of a, the way to phrase it. Um, these are people who, like I said, may, um, may have gone through like high achievement in their life. These are people who actually go through burnout fairly having burnout is actually pretty common for this type because the, what may happen is they go through these periods of high achievement and it's like extremely stressful for them. And especially if they're neurodivergent and they haven't figured out how to work with the way that their brain works and they're trying to shove things into a very traditional, um, way of functioning, whether it's, it's, uh, their minds or their schedules or their job or whatever. Um, and it completely burns them out. And then they're like, well, I feel like I'm totally messed up and I can't, I can't do that. Right. I don't want to do the burnout thing again, but like, I don't really know how to do this any differently. So like now I'm not even gonna bother because I couldn't get that right. Um, so that, mm, that's kind of a, a little bit more of a snapshot of what that person might look like. Is there more fear in that type than the other types? Yeah, I think that, um, I think fear, fear, and I think there's a little bit more of a, like a freeze in that type than some of the other types where they tend to, um, like collapse under challenge a little bit more as opposed to like explode or fight or like get out there, like say like a, like a hero perfectionist, that's more of a, um, you know, if you're going to go towards survival, it's like fighting, it's like, mm, going to tackle it, going to wrestle it to the ground. Um, covert is a little bit more like, I am just going to collapse, right. I'm going to just kind of freeze. I might feel a little bit paralyzed. Like I just don't even know what to do. Um, that's kind of the flavor of how that one may go. Interesting. I, I have nothing more to say about that one. I'm like, <laughs> I just, interesting. <laughs> Yeah. So it's, um, and you know, all of these things are iterations too, right? This is like, I, I imagine these things will start to flesh themselves out a little bit more too, with more conversations. But like I said, based on, based on what I hear people say, and now that I have the, even when, now that I have the framework in place, when I talk to people and they're describing their perfectionism, it's, I'm often like, okay, cool. Right. I can see, I can see what archetype this person tends to, uh, be more oriented towards. I just, I just got to peek into my own brain and realized one of the reasons I'm loving this conversation so much is it's like my biology background of, I love learning about new species. And that's what you're <laughs> describing to me. Like all these new species. <laughs> totally. Totally. It's like the platypus where you're like, this shouldn't even exist, but here it is. Yeah. It's two third. I'm, I might be getting that wrong, but it does cool things. The platypus. Does. Cool things. Yes. Cool things. Totally. All right. What, what's next? Um, let's see. Um, 
Yeah, I think I think the main thing. So so the ways. Uh, so people are like, okay, cool, right? I've identified myself as a perfectionist. I like certain aspects of it, right? I think this is another fear that people come with where they're like, cool, right? I can see all the stuff that doesn't go well here, but guess what? If I get rid of my perfectionism, I'm going to lie on the couch all day long, stare at the ceiling and never do anything ever again, right? That's kind of an innate fear where it's like, this is literally the only way I know how to get things done. And you're telling me that now I need to change this. I'm how is that similar to the people who are like, wait, if I meditate, I'll lose my edge though. I don't want to meditate. Is it, is it a similar? I think there's this, yeah. Well, I think one of the things that, that I think is very difficult for people. And when I say people, I mean, including myself, but the, um, the concept of nuance is, and the concept of things can be both and is really difficult for people to wrap their head around. They're very accustomed to the either or, right? The binary, the either or, the good or the bad, the this or the that. So if I'm not going to be a high achieving perfectionist, then that means my only other choice is to be a lazy slob that does absolutely nothing. Like literally, these are my only choices, right? That's the only thing we can conceive. And our brains like to categorize things and having to hold several truths at the same time is a conscious thing, right? It's something like we really have to do consciously where it's a, okay, I can be ambitious. I can be driven and I can also embrace taking my time. I can also embrace going slowly. I can also embrace taking a pause. I can also embrace getting back to people and not giving people an immediate answer, right? All of these things can exist within the same person, but we're not, we're, we're into stereotypes, right? We're into like, this is this thing and this is that thing. And the both and, and holding that at the same time takes a little bit of, um, it, it takes a certain amount of discomfort, right? It takes a little bit of un- this feeling uncomfortable trying to literally hold two things at the same time that seem like they should not belong together. Right. And actually just a little human design tidbit there for people with open ajnas, it's a whole lot easier to hold all the things at the same time. People with defined ajnas, they have a filing system in there. Mm-hmm. And if it's not in the file, they don't know where to put it. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So some people uh, can deal with nuance way more easily and other people are like, this feels, and it is, it's like, it feels like a physical a physical thing. Like you're trying to juggle something and you're like, I just don't even know how to juggle this. This feels weird. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So you, you, would you share three of the archetypes? Mm-hmm. Do you want to share the other two? Yeah. So optics and rigid are the other two, um, the other two archetypes, the, the optics perfectionist, um, this one's a, this one's a tough one. I really, I feel for this one too, because these are people who, often are, um, they, they look like they've got everything together and it's part of their, it's part of their archetype, right? It's part of what they do is they have things handled and they look like they've got things together and they, um, do things really well. And so from an outsider's perspective, they're like, great, things are great. But how these people may feel on the, on the inside is like, 
they're working really hard to, to put up this, this front and they may come off as, um, unapproachable to people. They may come back. People may feel like, well, shoot, I like, can't, I can't, I can't be up to that person's standard. Like, I just feel like I can't relate to this person. Right. So it can be tough with relationships. Um, and again, it's that intimacy, intimacy thing. If you're trying to keep up a particular, uh, front to people, then they don't really know who you are. You know, they, they don't really know who you are, how you're feeling, like what is actually going on because you're constantly putting up this, this, um, sort of manufactured version of yourself. So it can be really tough for it. It can be really lonely. It can be really lonely archetype where you want to have these close relationships, but you're, you're basically like, if I, you know, if I show people who I really am, then, then what, right. There's like a big fear around that. So that um, sounds exhausting. Yeah, it is exhausting. It is. It's a really tough one for sure. And I think yeah. it's what I typically, like if I had to describe a perfectionist, I think that's the one that I would, I would describe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really common. And I, one of the questions that I asked, uh, I asked people when I was doing these interviews, um, is like, what is your internal experience of perfectionism? I and mean, what do people see on the outside? And very often, sometimes people would, would say, you know, oh, well, if you knew me really well, you would see, you would know X, Y, and Z. But very often the first thing that somebody would say is, oh, you wouldn't really notice anything, hmm. right? You wouldn't really see anything from the outside, but on the inside, on that. right. Like, it's a, it's sure. a, yep. It's a conscious, you know, it's that decision where they've made it. And it's just, and again, it's not, at this point, it's not really a decision. It's just like, this is the way things are. Hmm. Yeah. And they start that at a young age, most likely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally. Yeah. That one makes me tired. It's, it's exhausting. Yeah. And it can be exhausting for the person too. I mean, it can go, you know, it can go along with sort of physical appearance too. Right. So it's like, I got to keep up a very specific physical appearance. So maybe you're spending a lot of time on how your body looks or how your, how your makeup looks or how your hair looks, right. This is, um, not necessarily gendered, but it, it does come up with, um, come up a lot with, with, um, you know, like people who, uh, lean towards more of the feminine spectrum. So, yeah. Hmm. All right. So that leaves us with rigid, rigid. Yeah. And I, you know, I rigid may come up, may come with a different, a different term at some point, because I, I don't want, there's not like a connotation, negative connotation to any of these. Right. Um, but there is a certain inflexibility that comes with a rigid perfectionist. And these, these are people who often end up in leadership roles. Like they're really good at what they do. They're really detail oriented. They're very driven. They're very, um, you know, they go after their goals, they get what they want. And the challenge with a rigid perfectionist is that they have a particular standard that they expect my way or the highway, right? They want every, they expect everybody to do things the way that they would do it in the way that they would do it exactly as they would want it done. Um, so the rigid perfectionists tend to start to have a lot of trouble if, when they start to get into leadership positions and now they have to delegate or now they have people that are working for them and they can't right? it's tough to have honest relationships with a rigid perfectionist because they can't take the feedback or their it's their way, right? They become the bottleneck in their own issues because they can't, no, but nothing can be done until it gets run by me. Right. So now they they're the bottleneck when all these things need to be get done, but they have to approve everything first. Um, and it really, uh, limits creativity because now you're saying, okay, well, you've got this whole team of brilliant minds that you're just not letting them do their jobs. Right. 
you hired them for a reason. Now you're not letting them do their job. So rigid perfectionist, that tends to be the kind of stereotype with a rigid perfectionist is this really strong leader who has just now is in a position that cannot, they're white knuckling, they're holding the reins super tight and they cannot, you know, let go. They feel like everything's going to explode if everything is not done exactly the way that they need to be done. Things need to be done. That's really interesting from a human design perspective in that I wonder how that person would respond to learning that learning human design and learning the human design of all the people that they've hired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it'd be, it's, it's interesting. I like having, um, it's just nice to have different language and different perspectives around these things. Right. Because we all, you know, our brains just like grab things or understand things a little bit more differently or a little bit more uniquely. And, um, yeah, I imagine the human design piece. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on the human design piece and those rigid perfectionists, if there's specific um, things that bring that bring that to mind for you. Um, it actually, that's such a good question. There's no specific gate that I think of. There are some profiles that I can see certainly leaning towards that. Mm. Um, and it's, And that's why I wonder once learning their human design and everybody else's human design, seeing how different they all are, would that crack them open in a good way or a bad way? Like, would it like crack them open and they would crumble or would it crack them open and they'd be like, oh, well, my God, the world is so bright and beautiful and unique and different. (laughs) Or would they be like, oh, my God, no one sees it my way and my way is the right way. So we're never going to get where I want to go. I mean, uh, I'm leaning towards the latter, but that's, you know, that's my, my cynicism. No, I think, I, I mean, I think when it comes to any of these, any of these archetypes and any of these things, it's like, what is your, where are you at? What is your openness level? And like, what are you willing to experiment with? You know, it's basically what it comes down to. And that's one of the things that, um, you know, I use this with clients so much, and especially with perfectionists is this concept of small, doable, and experimental, because you have to get your nervous system on board with something different, right? And it has to be small and doable enough that you can actually do it and like build that self-trust and that experimental piece where it's like, no, you're not committed to this for the rest of your life. We're just going to try this out, right? That gives people some breathing room to try new things and not feel like, oh my gosh, like if it doesn't work, then we're screwed, which is kind of that internal feeling that people get. It's like, no, 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 we're just gonna, we're just gonna try it out. See how it goes. I imagine the whole concept of doing life, doing anything as an experiment has got to be just a relief oh, to any of these archetypes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Totally. Totally. It's just anything that can relieve. That's one of the things, right? It's a pressure cooker. Perfectionism is a pressure cooker. So anything that helps to relieve that pressure, whether it's a perspective shift, whether it's a somatic practice, whether it is, um, you know, being able to talk to people who get it and just understanding that you're not the only one who's going through it. Anything that helps to relieve that pressure is such a relief. Yeah. I'm feeling like these people, it's like they were told at a really young age, life is past fail. Exactly. And yeah. now you're able to show them, oh, it's not actually it's, it's past for everyone. Yeah. 
That's a really good way of putting it. Or you're hundred percent right. Yep. Pass fail. And if you don't pass, then you end up alone by yourself in a ditch. <laughs> That's yeah. what fail looks like. Fail is real bad. Like fail is real bad. You don't want that. Mm. So what if you, this might be too big a question, but I still want to see what comes out of your mouth hole. Um, <laughs> if you had to say something to everyone who identifies as a perfectionist, what would it be? I mean, you're in good company. A lot of brilliant people, a lot of brilliant, brilliant, wonderful minds in this, in this little, uh, perfectionist universe. And it's not a little universe, right? It's a big one. And even we were talking about, like you were saying earlier, right? The open ego centers, what is that? 70% of the population. Yeah. Right. So it's possible that maybe 70% of the population has some sort of resonance, maybe right. With, mm-hmm. with these things. Um, and a, a lot of these people, right. That I work with are brilliant, high achieving, like world changing, you know, status quo. Like these are people who want to do things differently, even though they feel, you know, like they have to do it the status quo way, but they really don't want to, right. They're trying not to. And I think that's why a lot of people do come talk to me. Cause they're like, I want to not do the status quo way, but the status quo way is kind of holding me back here. I'm, I'm really like stuck here, but I want to not be doing that. Right. I want to do things differently. Um, so yeah, if you're resonating with this, you're an excellent company. Like I said, this is not a, not a villainous, terrible, horrible, you've been diagnosed with some awful thing situation. This is just an observation about how your nervous system works and let's work with it, figure out how to turn up the volume on your strengths and your gifts and the things that are, are you and help to give you some tools and some skills and some strategies and some, um, you know, circumstances that help to lessen the impact of all of the, of the negative side effects that come along with it. And what would you say to the people who don't resonate with, or, or don't self-identify as a perfectionist? I think just understanding that these people live in the world, that these people exist in the world is like, it's not helpful, right? Okay. So here's a perspective. It's not helpful if you are in relationship with a perfectionist, whatever that may be, if you have, if you've kind of, mm, I don't, you know, if you've listening to this podcast and you're like, I don't personally recognize this in myself, but I know that my spouse is, or like, I see my coworker or whatever. Um, a, maybe you're not just like calling them out on it. Probably not. They're probably not going to be want to be identified by somebody else. Right. And secondary, like know that things like, will just get over it. Or like, it's not a big deal don't work, right? Those things just don't work because it's, it is a big deal. Right. And I think that's the thing, right. Is even if something logistically looks small, physically nervous system wise can be huge, can feel huge on the inside. So have a little extra compassion, have a little extra understanding, give a little extra grace to those people in your life that might be struggling with this. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. And I totally lost what the other thing I was going to say is. So we'll forget that. And so it's not most importantly, but that's what I was going to say. So many people are going to want to work with you right now. So how can they do that? How can they connect with you? How can they get on your wonderful email list? You tell us all the things, Audrey, please. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, I think it's helpful to, I, I went over the archetypes, but I think it's helpful to just 
go through them yourself and just see if these resonate with you, right? If maybe you're like, Oh, I'm not really sure. So if you go to fortitude and flow.com slash perfectionist, you can get the archetype guide and you can go through that. You can read it. There are videos. If you're somebody who likes to listen or watch and just check it out, you know, see how you feel about that. Does it sound like it resonates with your experience? Does it feel um, like in alignment with what you need? And if so, then like, let's schedule a call. Let's talk. Um, otherwise you're, you're welcome to just hang out in my orbit. Um, get on my mailing list. You can same thing fortitudeandflow.com. You can just get on the mailing list that way. Um, but that's what I would, that's what I would recommend people, people do is just start to learn a little bit more about what this perfectionism is, what these archetypes are, what that might mean for you. And then if it feels like, oh yeah, I am ready to, I am ready to make some changes here, then let's talk. Thank you. Thanks for educating us. Thanks for, thanks for having me on and asking all these great questions. And hopefully um, this gives your listeners something, something to, uh, to feel a little bit more um, in a collective experience around because perfectionism can feel very isolating and lonely. And one of the things that does start to shift it is when you start to lean into people and the collective that you're not alone. Mm, absolutely. We're all just tripping over our puppy paws trying to figure this thing out. Big time. I love you, Audrey. Thank you. I love you too. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can head over to fortitudeandflow.com to learn everything about Audrey and connect with her and perhaps start a coaching relationship with her. And you can head over to kelseyabbott.com to learn more about me, sign up for my email list, perhaps book a human design reading or a coaching session, or find out about how you can start a coaching relationship with me. All of that at kelseyabbott.com. And if this episode resonated with you, please share it with all of your people. And if it lights you up to do so, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and a review. Thank you. I love you. Go forth and be awesome.